want you to get your Bible and turn with me in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Quickly, let's go into God's Word this morning. Let me just highlight one more thing as you are finding 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Anybody remember Billy Burke? Billy Burke is going to be back with us the first Sunday of June and the following Monday. So I want you to be sure to be a part of this. Uh, There is a powerful, powerful anointing on him for healing and miracles. And so he was healed at a Catherine Kuhlman crusade when he was a boy. His body was racked with cancer and God miraculously healed him and gave him life and put an anointing on him to see others healed miraculously. And we have seen healing in this room. I was healed under the uh, uh, anointing that was on him. I I, I understand, and I know you understand, God is our healer. Let's make that clear. But the anointing and a person that God uses, there are people that God will use, an anointing that will rest on certain people, and there's an anointing for healing and miracles on this brother. Billy Burke, I want you to come and be a part of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me start with verse number 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, you come together for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. It's interesting to me. We're going to continue reading. I'm not finished with our text. But we take this verse 23 through 26, and it serves as a platform for our time around the table of the Lord, and it should. But when you sandwich it in between verses 17 and on to verse 34, it really takes on a whole new meaning. Because the Apostle Paul is letting them have it. Because there's some things wrong in gathering around the table of the Lord. Verse 23, you know this part well. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed, He took bread. When He had given thanks... He broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until He comes. Read on. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now he's not talking about sleep where you wake up in the morning right here. When he says sleep right here, he's saying because you've partaken of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, some people have died over it. That's what he's saying. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these instructions and correction that you led the Apostle Paul to address these many years ago to the church of Corinth. It's so vital to us today. I pray, God, that we would learn and that in learning we would be changed. We give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Come on and say amen. amen. A little girl was watching her mother prepare dinner one night. She saw the mother get the knife out and she cut the ends off of the meat before she put the meat in the pan. The little girl was curious. So she said, Mama, why do you cut off the ends of the meat before you put the meat in the pan? She said, well, I think it's so all the spices can get rubbed into the meat. But I'm not actually sure because my mom did it that way. I learned it from my mom, your grandma. Why don't you go ask her? She runs into the living room. She says, Grandma, why do you and mom cut off the ends of the meat before you put the meat in the pan? Grandma said, why, honey, I think it's so all the juices will blend together nicely. But I'm not quite sure, because I learned it from my mother, your great-grandma. So if you really want to know, why don't you call Nana? And she could tell you. So the little girl runs to the phone, and she gets on the phone. She says, Nana, I saw Mom cutting off the ends of the meat. And she said it was so all the spices could be completely rubbed in the meat. And then Grandma said it was so all the juices would blend together. But they both said they learned it from you. So Nana, why do you cut off the ends of the meat before you put the meat in the pan? And her great-grandmother began to laugh. 
And finally she said, Honey, I cut off the ends of the meat because that's the only way I could get the meat in the pan. Why do we do what we do? There's a little country church every service at the conclusion of the service everyone would stand and they would face this certain wall just a blank wall and they would sing the doxology like clockwork end of the service everyone stands everyone rotates they face this blank wall and they sing the doxology Finally, someone that was new to the church says, what's up? What's going on? Why do we always turn and face this wall that's blank when we sing the doxology? They began to talk amongst themselves. No one knew. But finally, one of the elderly brothers of the church that had been there a long time, he said, oh, I remember. I remember they, they introduced this new chorus to us. <laughs> And nobody knew the words. So we wrote the words up on the wall. But over time, we painted over that wall. It faded and we painted over it, but we still just turn and face that wall and sing the doxology. We laugh today, but I wonder why we do what we do. I wonder when it comes to this sacred event, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the drinking of the cup. Do you even know why we do what we do? Is it just because it's the first Sunday of the month and on the first Sunday of the month, it is what we do. We will vary that somewhat throughout the year, but normally on the first Sunday of every month, we are going to push pause and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's what we do. It's a bit of a ritual for us. It's a habit, if you will. You know, habit gets a bad rap. The word habit conjures negative thoughts, usually. But there is something about having a good habit, too. Nothing wrong with doing this once a month, first Sunday of the month. I think it's great because it reminds us as we're preparing, oh yeah, remember the first Sunday we got communion, Pastor Moses, right? When we're preparing everything, that's what we do. So nothing wrong with that. But it's got to be bigger and better and beyond that it's the first Sunday of the month. Come on, everybody. Why do we do what we do? Are we just going through the motions or do we realize what we are doing, and why we're doing it. Today is the first Sunday in May. Today we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. But before we do, I thought it would be good if we take the time to truly examine what communion is really all about. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, the people of Corinth, of the church of Corinth. He's writing on this subject in particular here in chapter 11. But there's some things that aren't right. There's some definite things that are wrong that he had to address. And so in him giving instruction on how to do it and also correction in what not to do, we benefit today. 
What is communion all about? Communion is a time of remembrance. Jesus said, as often as you do this, which, by the way, sets the tone and sets the pattern that we are to continue to do this. Every time you do this. So he is suggesting this isn't the only time that this is going to be done. He's instituting the Lord's Supper and the practices, but also it's to be done again and again and again. And in fact, we should be doing this until the Lord comes because in doing so, we are proclaim, proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. So as the church of Corinth benefited, so the church of La Palma will benefit. I think we need to understand what were some of the wrong things that were happening with this church in Corinth. Keep your Bible open. These will not be reiterated on the screen, but I want you to glance at your Bible again and see this closely. Look at verse 18. He said, I understand there's some division going on. There's some division in the church. Are you kidding? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When you come to Christ and you're forgiven and you receive the grace and mercy of, of the Lord and the love of God and He cleanses you, there's not supposed to be division in the church. I think it's sad, actually, that from the beginning of time, there's been division. There's been division. I think La Palma Christian Center does well in this area of, of, of fighting to stay united. I really do. But it will be a fight. And we will have to understand that there's an enemy that wants to divide us at all times, and he doesn't care how he does it. He'll do it through the most holy of, of ceremonies, the Lord's Supper. He, he did it here, brought division. Can you believe that? So I think we're, I think we're doing well, church. This isn't, this is, there's no hidden, I'm not trying to slide something in right here. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm showing you there were some things wrong. But Moses had to deal with divided people. The Apostle Paul had to deal with divided people. And I, at, at some points in my ministry, I'm going to have the same issue. But that doesn't give license to be divided. Y'all could talk to me even now. That's all right. That gives no license for us to be divided. He said, I understand there's some division going on among you. And I believe it. I believe it. And he goes on in verse 19, he talks about factions. You know what factions are? There must also be factions, he says. A faction is the, is the birth child of division. It's the byproduct of division. You see, division only really just takes one to get it in their, their, a bee in their bonnet, so to speak. You know, something in their crawl. I don't like this, I don't like that, and that can bring division, just one. But they start yin-yanging and yakking, and they, and they get to somebody that, you know, they yak to this one, yak to that one, they won't hear it, they won't have any part of it. They finally get to somebody who says, oh, I thought the same thing. And you know what they do? They climb in the boat. See, think of factions as a boat carrying all the same divisive people with all the same agenda. 
That's a faction. It's a group of people that are bringing division and are supporting dissension in the church. And it ought not be so. Factions. Selfishness is talked about in verse number 21. People, I guess they were coming together to actually eat. You know, some of y'all coming hungry. You're going to eat all the bread. You're going to drink up all the juice. Don't you have a home to eat in? Now, we don't really have to deal with that today. But there's, and, and then people elbowing somebody else out. You know, I was here first. Right? Selfishness. Selfishness over the Lord's Supper. Can you believe it? And then he says more than once, oh, also he talks about drunkenness. Drunkenness, getting drunk in the house of God. I, I don't have the time and, and I don't want to get on my soapbox. You know how I feel about that. Unworthy participation is, is mentioned twice in verse number 27. And he says it again in verse number 29. Unworthy participation. If you participate of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner with impurity and sin and, and something hidden, you're in danger, church. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in danger. You're not to partic participate of the body and the, and the blood, the bread and the cup, in an unworthy manner. You would be better off to dismiss yourself and go to the restroom while we do this. Go check your email out in the parking lot. I don't care what you do. But to go through the motions, it's a mockery to the body and the blood. That's what Paul is saying to this church. Now, Paul is not saying don't participate. Paul just said, if, you, if there is unworthiness or, or uncleanness in your heart, just examine yourself. He said, let a man examine himself, and then you can come to the table. So it's so simple. But because I don't know, and the pastors don't know, and the elders don't know, that doesn't mean you can slide under the radar because God always knows. I said, God always knows. In correcting these wrongs, we have a wonderful set of instructions and correction for us today that help us in partaking of the Lord's Supper. You see, communion is about remembering. Remember the body. Remember the blood. And here's what I want you to remember most. Remember Christ. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot down three thoughts. These three things I would like you to consider in remembering Christ. I think, first of all, it's important to remember what Christ did. This is about a body broken. This is about real blood that was spilled. What did Christ do? Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Don't ever forget that. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, that takes it to a whole other level, by the way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was my sin, my guilt. The punishment should have come to me. But Christ stepped in and he said, I'll pay the price. And he died for me. 
He died for you. Isaiah 53, 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. Don't forget what was done, what He did on Calvary. In dying for us, He became sin for us. There was an actual... Uh, metamorphosis that occurred when he went to the cross and actually stretched out his arms and died for us the Bible says he became sin for us 2nd Corinthians 5 21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us Wow that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Amazing thought that he would die for us lest we ever forget that and that in that moment of dying he became sin and why did he do it? He did it for us so that we would then become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So today I can stand before you righteous not of anything I've done of my own but he declares me righteous. He declares me just. Don't forget what he did for you. He freed us. John 8, 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Don't forget your bondage. Don't forget your slavery. Don't forget those things that held you captive. What did Christ do? He died for us. He became sin for us. He freed us from slavery and bondage. But what is He doing right now? See, these are some things that Christ did when he went to Calvary, but I want to tell you something today. He's not done doing. <laughs> Jesus is still doing something right now. Remember, number two, remember what Christ is doing right now. And I don't know about you, but Jesus is helping me today, and I need all the help I can get. Come on and look at your neighbor and tell him, say, you need all the help you can get. Judy, you need all the help you can get, sis. I need all the help I can get. And thanks be to God, we have one who is right now, currently, helping us in every way and in every manner. In every manner. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes to the hill. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our time of trouble. And Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 6, goes on to say, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Hallelujah. That's what's happening right now. That's what's happening today. That's what's happening currently. He's helping me. He's picking me up when I fall. He's wiping me off and setting my feet on the right path again. What's, what's Christ doing for us right now? Not only is he helping us, here's how he's helping us. He's forgiving us. He's forgiving us. I could take you back to the very day, the very piece of property in Terre Haute. Thank you. 
My dogs didn't even bark out. I was ready, man. A dramatic pause and everything. When I was initially forgiven, 1982, I finally surrendered and I stopped running and I asked Christ to forgive me. But do you know how many times I've fallen and stumbled and made mistakes along the way and how many times I've had to ask Him to forgive me? But thanks be to God, He's forgiving me right now. If I'll just ask, because 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, come on everybody, from all unrighteousness. Every wrong thing you've ever done can be under the blood. Every sin you've ever committed can be under the blood. All you have to do today is open your mouth and confess to God, I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. It's what He's doing right now. He's forgiving you. He's cleansing you. He's washing you. And not only can we have our sins forgiven, church, hear me now, we must have our sins forgiven. Because again, there's a strong warning about coming to this table and participating in this event with unforgiven sin. Verse 27, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, let it not be said of you, may it not be said of me, because we, we participate uh, in an unworthy manner, we're guilty of the body and the blood. It's a mockery. It's re-emphasized, verse 29, whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself because he doesn't discern the Lord's body. All we have to do is ask God to forgive. Close your eyes for a moment. Look within your heart. Examine yourself. Is there anything that would forbid you from coming to the table of the Lord? Is there any secret sin? Only you and God know, really. If there is, you ask God right now to forgive you. Ask Him to purify you. Remember, He's helping you. He's the one who brought you into this room so that you could be forgiven. That's how much He cares for you. He knows we're just human. He knows we're prone to fail. We're prone to sin. We're selfish by nature. God, forgive me. God, I've made mistakes. Cleanse me with your blood. It's that simple. What is Christ doing for us right now? Let me have your attention again. Not only is He helping us, not only is He forgiving us, get this, right now, He's praying for us. <laughs> I like this. This gets me excited. How many believe in the power of prayer? Let me see your hand. You believe in the power of prayer? You better believe in the power of prayer. You're sitting here today because of the power of prayer. Somebody prayed you in. Somebody prayed you through. And somebody's praying for you right now. Maybe a mother. Maybe a grandmother. Maybe a sibling. Somebody's praying for you. I love that Karen prays for me every day. I love that my children lift up my name every day. I have a board of elders that I know they are praying for me every day. My 
my pastors are praying for me every day and many in this congregation are praying for me every day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't do what I do without you praying for me. But as much as I love that Karen is praying for me, as much as I appreciate my pastors and my children and you praying for me, I've got somebody else that trumps all of you praying for me today. Jesus himself is interceding. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's making an accession for me. Hallelujah. Romans 8.34 Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and by the way, don't forget this part, he is also risen who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Think about that. Christ died for you. He freed you. He redeemed you. But he is currently involved in your life right now. He's praying for you because Christ only wants the best for you. He believes in you. He's rooting for you. He's cheering you on. Can you imagine anybody better praying for you than Christ? He's praying for you. Currently. Making intercession. What did Christ do? Remember what Christ did. Remember what he's doing today. But there's just one more thing before we come to the table of the Lord. Remember what Christ is going to do. Because there's an event that hasn't happened yet and involves Christ. The scripture tells us, even in our text here today, verse number 26, I don't know if you could find that and bring it up for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this should remind us every time we take the cracker and every time we take the juice, it should remind us Jesus is coming again. What is going to happen? Jesus is coming again. This is not my final home. I'm just passing through. I'm living in a temporary place right now. My eternal resting place is going to be heaven. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming again. I hope you believe that. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just something my grandmother told my mother and my mother told me. It is truth. It is real. It is factual. Jesus is coming again. The scripture tells us this. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. 1 Thessalonians verse num- uh, chapter number 4, verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, my brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself, listen to this, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus is coming again, church. Hallelujah! Jesus is coming again. Don't get so caught up in your routine and your ritual and your day-to-day activity that you fail to, to remember and you forget that there's an event coming that hasn't occurred yet. 
Jesus is coming again. And I believe, Pete, at any moment a trumpet could sound. I believe at any moment there could be a summons. And God the Father tells God the Son, who is Jesus, it's time. Gabriel gets his horn and he blows the trumpet and it sounds the alarm. And graves begin to give up their dead. Oceans give up their dead. And we that are alive and remain will be caught up with them. And so we will meet the Lord in the air. And so we will forever be with the Lord. I want to comfort you with these words today. And as I say to you that the Lord is coming again, may we together say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's say that together. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is going to take us to heaven. <laughs> I love where I live. My parents ask me, do you ever see yourself moving back to the Midwest? And I said, well, I hope God doesn't do that. I mean, that's God's business. I can't, you know, when you're a minister, you can't say. I could be in Ecuador. I'm just telling you. Who knows but God. But God, <laughs> if you could see it in your heart to let me live in this great land of Southern California <clears throat> as long as I'm living on earth. Because I think Southern California is probably about as close to heaven as you're going to get. I'm telling you, the weather is unbelievable. You've got the ocean, you've got the mountains, you've got the desert, you've got, you've got whatever you want right here. But I'd give up Southern California in a, in a heartbeat to get to heaven. I just want somebody to know that. I'd wave this old world goodbye and I'd be in heaven walking on streets of gold and gathered around the crystal sea and worshiping, worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to heaven. Jesus is coming and He's going to be taking us to heaven. It's a place where there's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more cancer. There's no more sickness. No more kidney failure. No more heart disease. There's no more death. It's a land where we will forever be worshiping Jesus, living with Jesus. What is communion all about? It's about remembering. I've tried to help you today just to remember a thing or two. Christ, that's really what it's about. Something He did, what He's currently doing right now, and what's going to happen? An event that hasn't happened yet. But mark my word, it's going to happen. Pastor Moses, I want you to come. And elders, I want to invite you, pastors, I want to invite you to prepare this table of the Lord. Hallelujah. Why do we do what we do, church? There's purpose. There is a reason. When you do this, remember me. Every time we break the bread, may we remember. Every time we take the cup, 
May we remember. Can you get me a nice close-up of the bread and the cup? I want you to see this today. Come on, get in there real nice and tight. There we go. See the body. Look past the bread and see the body. He said, this is my body. This is my body. It's, it's broken for you. You've got to see that. It's not just bread. It's a body broken. He said, every time you take the cup, this represents my blood. Blood that was shed for the sins of mankind. Today we remember. I want to invite you to stand all across this congregation. Come, let our pastors and elders serve you. But I want you to hold the bread and the cup. Take it back to your seat and we will participate together. Come now.
thankful for the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. John, I'm going to have you come in a moment when you're done serving. I want you to come and pray a prayer of thanks over these emblems, this bread and this cup that represents the body and the blood. Would you come? Take the bread together, everyone. Now the cup. The blood that gives me strength from day, day to day. It will be Thank you for being in the house of God.
Have a great afternoon, and we'll look for you tonight. Oh.